Well, we better uh, go ahead and get started here. Um, I've been commissioned with an impossible job uh, to share with you the New Covenant in 30 minutes. You know what the New Covenant is? It's right here. It's the New Testament. Okay, so we got 30 minutes to get into this. So um, I think the best thing I'm going to be able to do is just to leave you with some impressions, and hopefully the Lord can touch us all concerning this matter of the New Covenant. So there's maybe four or five items in this outline that I want to camp out on. So how about we just go ahead and get into it for the next 30 minutes or so, and then we can break up into groups and have some fellowship. All right, so um, last week Rodney shared with us about the matter of these, uh, these crucial covenants uh, in the Old Testament. Actually, in the Bible, there's eight covenants, seven in the Old, one in the New. And in the, Old, uh, in the Old Testament, we saw, do you remember the covenants we saw last week? Firstly, there was with the woman, right? With the fallen man, actually, with Adam and Eve concerning the seed of the woman. And then what was the next one we saw? Do you remember? Noah. Noah. And the next one with Abraham. And then the next one was what? With David concerning the kingdom and the kingship. And then finally, with Moses, right? The law, which is what's referred to as the Old Covenant. Um, but then there's another covenant in the Old Testament that's shared there prophetically, and that's in the book of Jeremiah. He prophesied about a new covenant and that was going to uh, be for God's people, the children of Israel. Maybe we can take just a minute to read. I'll read this to you under Roman number one. Um, and remember, when we're talking about covenants, as Rodney mentioned last week, these are not just promises. These aren't just hopes. They're not aspirations. But it's a covenant. So that means that it's a contract. And this contract, it binds God to do all that's in the covenant. And you might ask, well, why does God do that? Well, really, it's for our sake. God's really not required to covenant, but because of our weakness, he covenants with us to give us assurance, to give us trust in him. Um, and also these covenants, they reveal God's desire for his people. So the covenants are very crucial. And in Jeremiah, he prophesied in chapter 31 concerning a new covenant. So let me read this to you. Indeed, days are coming, declares Jehovah, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by their hand to bring them out from the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was their husband, declares Jehovah. What covenant was that? That was the covenant of the law, right? That was the old covenant. And the problem, of course, with that covenant was not on God's side, but on man's side, because the law was weak through the flesh. Actually, all that covenant did was to expose man's shortage. It revealed how wonderful God is, but as far as man goes, it just showed we are short. We cannot, we cannot make it. We don't have, we're not made out of the right stuff to fulfill the requirements of that covenant. Okay, so... So here Jehovah is declaring concerning a new covenant. 
But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Jehovah. Point number one, I will put my law within them and write it upon their hearts. Very interesting. How can you take those Ten Commandments and all the ordinances and put them in man's heart and inscribe them on man's mind? That's a question, isn't it? You think Jeremiah knew what he was talking about? I don't think he knew. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Number two. The next, they will no longer teach each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, No, Jehovah, for all of them will know me, from the little one among them, even to the great one among them. That's number three, declares Jehovah, for I will, number four, forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. So these are the contents of the covenant, right? These four items. All right. So now we need to see what is this covenant. We come to Roman numeral 2. Christ himself is the new covenant. The New Testament given to us by God. You might read that line and you think, what? How could Christ be the new covenant? How can that be? I thought a covenant was a thing. It was like a written document, an agreement between two parties to accomplish certain things. But if you read Isaiah 42, 6... It's very clear. I am Jehovah. I have called you in righteousness. I've held you by the hand. I've kept you and I have given you as a covenant to the people. It's very clear from this word, right? This capital Y-U, of course, is Christ. So Christ himself is given as the covenant. So this is the first really crucial point that I want to point out to you. He not only enact, Christ not only enacted the covenant, he is actually the contents of this covenant. Everything that God intends to give us is in Christ. And apart from Christ, God gives us nothing. So this is a very crucial revelation in the scriptures. Christ is the centrality. He's the universality. He's the height. He's the depth. He's the breadth. He's the length. In God's eternal purpose, Christ is all in in all. And he wants to be everything to us. And ultimately, he will be everything to us. The question is just how long does it take to get there, right? If we take the high road or the, the low road. Okay, but this is the first crucial point, is that God has given Christ as a covenant. So let's look under A here. Let's read A together. The reality of all the hundreds of bequests in the New Testament is Christ. So Galatians 3.14, let's read that together. In order... Okay, so what was the blessing of Abraham? It's the promise of the Spirit. And the promise of the Spirit is not the promise that the Spirit gives, but it's the promise that's the Spirit himself. He is the promise. And how do we receive this promise? Through faith. And how is it given? In Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ, you get the blessing, you get the promise, you get the Spirit. You see, it's all in Christ. 
And then Ephesians 1.3 is even clearer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Where? In Christ. Where are all the blessings that, that the Father gives us? Where are they? In Christ. Apart from Christ, there are no blessings. So whenever you see a blessing in the New Testament, the reality of that blessing is Christ himself. When you, get, when you believe in Christ and you get baptized into Christ, when you get brought into the realm of Christ, all the blessings that God has are yours. Praise the Lord, Brother Ty. You're a blessed man. How many times in the New Testament is this expression in Christ or in Jesus Christ used? I don't know, Kyle, where are you? Kyle. Kyle, how many times? A lot of times. Kyle will probably do a study on how many times in Christ is in the New Testament and all the aspects. 81? In Christ. All the blessings are in Christ because what? He is the covenant. All right. But then the question is, how do we receive and enjoy Christ as the covenant? How does he become ours? We have to what? Exercise our spirit, remain in our spirit, with which is the very Christ. You might think, well, how do you connect our spirit with Christ? Well, actually, or with the covenant, actually, Jeremiah did it. In the Old Testament, in the age before the revelation was there, in a prophetic way, he joined these two things together. So Isaiah 42.5, which of course comes right before Isaiah 42.6, it says, Thus says God Jehovah, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and what springs up from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit, and spirit to those who walk on it. So this is, this is a, a parallel verse to Zechariah 12.1 where it talks about the spirit of man within him. So the, the center, there's the heavens, there's the earth. And then when God sees man, what does he see? Man's spirit, right? Because the spirit is the container. It's the receiver for what? What comes in the next verse? The new covenant, the covenant to the people, right? So 42.5 ends with our spirit. 42.6 speaks concerning what? We saw it earlier. Concerning Christ, the covenant, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's very clear, Right? So in 2 Timothy 4.22, A, it says, The Lord beware with your spirit. Not only is Christ sitting on the throne, Stephen saw him when he was being martyred. He was standing there, right? In the third heavens. But according to this verse, the Christ in the heavens is also now where? He's with our spirit. So if you want to enjoy the covenant, where do you need to go? You got to go to your spirit. Forget the mind. The mind is a dead end. Forget your emotions. You know, sometimes we just want an emotional feeling. It's like, Lord, where's that emotional feeling that I had when I first believed? Don't look for an emotion. Just get to your spirit. Christ is in your spirit. How do we get there? Oh, Lord Jesus. That's the easiest way to get to your spirit. Because no one can say Lord Jesus except in the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We should try this all together. Let's try it together. Jesus is Lord. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Lord. Brothers, let's try it. 
Jesus is Lord. Sisters, Jesus is Lord. How about we try, oh, Lord Jesus, all together. Oh, Lord Jesus. Brothers, how about this? Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. Sisters, try that. Lord Jesus, I love you. That's the realm we need to get into. And it's so easy to get there. I enjoyed many times this week when I was discouraged, I was depressed, I was anxious, I was worried. It's just, oh, Lord Jesus. And right away, you get brought into another realm. That's the way, brothers and sisters. It's really simple. It's really simple. The Lord's made it so easy. But we got to get there. And so then in Romans 8, 4, it says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to what? The Spirit. So not only do we need to get there, we need to walk there. Have our daily life there. Just like the children of Israel, they had their daily life walking in the good land. We need to spend our daily life walking in Christ. Right? We don't wake up in the morning in Christ. I don't know, maybe you do, I don't. I just wake up, my, I'm just cloudy in my mind, and I want to stay in bed. I don't, I don't feel too happy about getting out of bed. But, you know, then I get up, and I just, oh, Lord Jesus, real soft, because my wife's still asleep, but just, oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and then I get in the shower just a little bit more, oh, Lord Jesus, very softly, oh, Lord Jesus. And then I shave, then I go downstairs, and I open my, my Bible, just take a couple verses, just start praying Contact the Lord, and right away, all the blessings are there. All the blessings are there. Okay, now let's look at the contents of this covenant with Roman numeral three. Let's read together A. I will. Surely Jeremiah didn't know what this was. But Paul makes it very clear in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, what this law is. Actually, in Jeremiah it's law, but then in Hebrews it's pluralized, laws. So that indicates that that one law, it becomes many laws in our experience. It becomes a law of our mind. It becomes a law of our emotion, a law of our will, a law of our conscience. That's our mind and our heart. But it has a base. There's a base for that spreading of this law. And that's in Romans 8 2. Let's read that together. For. Okay, so here's another crucial point. The first crucial point is that the covenant is Christ, second crucial point is that Christ is now with our spirit. So if we want to enjoy the contents of the covenant, we, got, we have to get to our spirit. The third crucial point is that this law that we're talking about, it's a life law. This is not like a law in letters. This is not like the Ten Commandments on you know, the tablets there in the Old Testament. This is a life law. And a life law is spontaneous, it's innate, and it's automatic. Okay, who right now is digesting pizza? Okay, what did you do in order to digest that pizza? Uh, all you did was eat it. Are you doing anything now so your body will digest it? Your body's doing it, right? What is that? That's the law of digestion. 
It works spontaneously, automatically. It's an innate function in the human body. The human body digests food. If you don't feel good right now, that means that your, your body, the law is having a problem. The law of digestion is struggling to digest some element in that pizza. I don't know, right? But a law just works spontaneously, automatically. So this is not a law in letters. This is a life law. So this is called what? The law of the spirit of life. So this law is of the spirit, and this law is what? Of life. And it's freed me where? There it is again. You can see it? In Christ Jesus. That's the realm where the law works. It's in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and of death. Okay, this is, this is an important point. Let's just take two minutes to do a quick illustration. I never do illustrations. I'm really bad at them, but let's see if we can, you know, make this work. Okay, how about the two Trevors? Trevor Lee, Trevor Walker. Where's, Tre where's Trevor Lee? Who was here a minute ago? Oh, there you are right there. Can you stand up here or do you have to take pictures of me? <laughs> okay, two Trevors. Okay, let's get Sam. Sam, you come up here too. And we'll get um, Sam, you stand in the middle. Trevor on the right, or Lee Walker on the left. And then, um, okay, Hudson, you come in the middle. You're right here. Here, why don't y'all stand up here? Stand up here on the top. Hudson, you stand right here. Actually, no, y'all stand on the first stair, Hudson, you stand behind him. I'm sorry. See, I told you I'm bad at illustrations. Okay, and remind me your name one more time. Justin. Justin. Justin, you stand over here. Okay, and Timothy, we'll use you in a minute. Okay, so here's Hudson. Hudson is actually quite complicated. Actually, all of us are quite complicated. I mean, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Hudson, you're complicated. That's right, I was just making sure I got things right there. Okay, because within Hudson, there are three lives. He's not, he's not that simple. And there's also, there's also four laws involved with him. And these are all covered in Romans 7 and 8, and I'm not going to get into all of them, but I just want to give you the illustration here. So with Hudson, firstly, he has a body, and in his body, there's a law. It's called the law of sin and death. And because of our fallen nature, there's an inclination away from God, right? So that's the law of sin and death in our flesh. Also, Hudson has a mind. I mean, he has a soul, excuse me, with a mind, an emotion, will. And there's a law that governs his soul, and that's the law of good. And it's upright. It's based just on our human nature. We want to do what's right. Okay? Sin and death in the flesh. Law of good in the mind. Then, there's another law. Okay. Before he's regenerated. Okay, act like you're sleeping. Your head needs to be down. Okay, this is his, his spirit. And there's... Well, before he's regenerated, this is what his spirit's like. It's, it's totally inactive. Okay. But then Hudson calls on the Lord. Lord Jesus. A little louder. Oh, Lord Jesus. A little stronger. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay. Yes. And his spirit, his spirit gets regenerated with, this, with, with, with the spirit. Okay. 
So now there's the law of the spirit of life in his spirit. So law of sin and death in his flesh. Law of good in his mind. Law of the spirit of life in his spirit. Okay. This is us. We're, we're complicated. Well, you might ask, who is this? <laughs> this is the law of God outside of us. So three are inside. And then one is outside. This is the law of God. And this law is making demands. And law of good in the mind says, yes, I agree. But law of sin and death in the flesh says, no, you don't. <laughs> but then you have the law of the spirit of life. And for Hudson, this is a new discovery. He's gotten regenerated in his spirit. But at this point, his inner man is pretty weak, right? He's not, there's no problem with his spirit, but he's not very strong in exercising his spirit. Instead, he's used to living here in his mind. But now he's very conscious of God's law outside of him. So then Timothy comes along. And Timothy has a new BMW. And Hudson, he loves BMWs. But he, he grew up a poor farm boy. He doesn't, he, Hudson, does not have, Hudson does not have a penny. And here comes his friend Timothy. They struck it rich on their farm. They discovered oil. He's driving along in his BMW. And he comes up. Hudson, look at my new car. And Hudson's like, oh, nice car, nice car. And then Timothy drives away. And Hudson's just watching him as he drives off. And then, but then the law of God outside of him says, thou shalt not covet. I really like that BMW. That's, this is Hudson talking. Thou shalt not covet. So right away, law of good in the mindset, that's right. I cannot covet Timothy's BMW. But then, what does sin and death in his flesh say? What does he say? What does he say? No, he comes along real gently. He comes along real gently. You know, you got to kind of, you grab him around the shoulder. Actually, you do. You really do. So then he enters into this struggle. Okay, who's going to, who's going to, let me ask you a question. Who's going to win this struggle? Any guesses? Sin and death in the flesh. Every time. Every time. And this part in us never goes away. It will be with us until we're raptured. So don't think you're ever going to get delivered from, from this by it going away. That's not the way of deliverance. But every time, okay, so as a young believer, it's like, I need to be good now. I need to do what God requires me to do. So our default is to respond to God's law outside of us. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall not covet. You shall not steal. You shall not. And you shall. Yes, yes. But sin and death in the flesh saying, no, 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 you don't understand. Right? What's he going to do? What's Hudson going to do? Can't kill the flesh. Actually, Christ crucified the flesh, right, with its passions and its lust. But where is the reality of that in our experience? It's not with mind deciding, oh, I'm not going to covet. 
Where, where is the escape? The mingled spirit. So instead of struggling and saying, no, I won't, no, I won't, no, I won't. I won't covet, I won't covet. What does Hudson need to be doing? Oh, Lord Jesus. Exactly. Oh, Lord Jesus. Get out of the struggle. And immediately what happens? Exactly. This is what's going on here. And what he has to learn, exactly. And what he has to learn how to do is stay here. Set the mind on the spirit. Don't struggle. Just set the mind there. Just begin to call, begin to pray, begin to touch the Lord. Okay, brothers, that's good enough. Sorry, I spent, I spent way too much time on that illustration. Okay. So, so according to Romans 8, 2, the law of the spirit of life has what? Freed me. It frees you. It's not like a, a weak kind of, you know, like you're, bar- you're just struggling there and you just har- you barely make it. It is freedom. You know that freedom we were singing about in Christ Jesus? The reality of that is the law of the spirit of life. And remember, it's spontaneous, it's automatic, it's innate function, just like your digestion. You've just got to be in the right place. You've got to switch on. That's our, that's our job. It's like in this room. You know, if somebody hadn't switched on the, flipped on the switch, we'd all be sitting here in darkness right now, right? The electricity is installed, but you've got to get the switch on. Same way spiritually. The law of the spirit of life, it's installed now. It's there available, but we've got to switch on. And the easiest way is just, oh, Lord Jesus. Sometimes we, just, we can just confess, Lord, I can't. Even just to utter that, Lord, I can't, that gets you to the Spirit. Praise the Lord for this law, brothers and sisters. What a discovery Paul made in Romans 8. Okay, but let's look real quickly at um, the function um, of this law is to do two things. So in Romans 8.29, it says, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what this, the function of this law does, it functions to conform us to the image of Christ. From our perspective, it's like, oh, I'm getting freed from my temper. Oh, I'm getting freed from my lust. Oh, I'm getting freed from my coveting. But from God's perspective, what's going on is we're getting conformed to the image of Christ. That's what's going on in the new covenant. At the end of it all, at the end of the story, we're going to look just like him. In life, in nature, in expression, we're going to look just like our big brother, the Lord Jesus. What a covenant. What a covenant this is. So he imparts his laws. These laws conform us to the image of Christ. And from Ephesians 4, we see that also these laws make us members of the body with all kinds of functions. As you begin to enjoy this law, what will happen is it will bring you into the body life. You'll, be, you'll find yourself fellowshipping, praying with others, caring for others. All kinds of things will come out of the enjoyment of the law of the spirit of life. 
not only toward the Lord, but also toward the members of the body of Christ because the Lord wants his body. Okay. Second point, content of this new covenant is, I will be God to them, and they will what? Be a people to me. In Ephesians 1, 11, in whom also we were designated as an inheritance. Did you know that you're God's inheritance? Do you ever have this thought? I know I have a lot of thoughts about myself, not too good, mainly condemning thoughts from Satan. But have you ever thanked the Lord, Lord, thank you in Christ, I have been made your inheritance. Brothers and sisters, God wants to inherit us. And the more we get constituted with Christ, the more we let the law of life operate in us, the more we get conformed to the image of Christ, the more we are becoming God's inheritance. Praise the Lord. And also, he's becoming our inheritance. They're both included. Okay. Um, now let's go on to see. They shall by no means each teach his fellow citizen and each his brother saying, what? Know the Lord. And let's read the rest of that together. For all... From the little one to the great one among them. So there's two words for know in Greek. This first know means the objective knowledge. The second one is subjective knowledge, to know something by experience. Maybe if you had never had pizza and you came tonight, someone could explain to you what pizza is and how it's made and all the ingredients. Then you could say, I know pizza. But the question is, do you really know pizza? How do you really get to know pizza? you got to eat the pizza. That, then it becomes subjective knowledge. It's through experience. So this is one of the contents, one of the items of the new covenant, is that all will know him. We don't just know him objectively. We don't just have a historic savior that lived 2,000 years ago that we can say, oh yeah, I, I know he died for my sins. But we have a subjective savior. We have a Christ who's come to indwell us that we can know in our experience. Look, and who, who knows him? All. The little one, the great one. It doesn't matter if you're, you're the president and you receive the Lord or, or you're a little, some kind of attendant and you receive the Lord. All will know me from the little one to the great one and not know just objective facts, but know the Lord experientially. And this is actually called the sense of life. So in Romans 8, 6, it says, for, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace is the sense that we get, right, from the Lord's life in us. So we can know God subjectively by the way of life. So we're not living anymore by right and wrong, good and bad, but we're living by the Christ who's indwelling our spirit, by life and peace. Um, and really to know him is to live him and to become one with him. So this is another one of the blessings, one of the items of the new covenant. And finally, I will be propitious to their unrighteousnesses and their sins I shall by no means remember anymore. Praise the Lord. Propitious means appeasement. There's a problem between us and God. Christ, he reconciled us. He appeased God's righteousness. He reconciled us to God. Um, and on this point, I know I'm out of time, but um, 
you know, once we believe in the Lord, our conscience becomes very sensitive. Well, number one, what brought us into these bequests is our faith in Christ, right? And the blood that he shed for us on the cross. And the blood he shed for us on the cross is eternally effective. And it doesn't need to be repeated. But in our experience, when our conscience is bothered, we need to apply the blood of Christ. So, especially once you believe in the Lord, you become, your conscience becomes very sensitive. And the enemy, Satan, would use that sensitivity to attack us and to discourage us. So whenever we have an offense in our conscience, we need to apply the Lord's blood and just simply say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord, cleanse me in your blood. And you'll never graduate from it. I don't know how many times today I said, Lord, forgive me. Lord, cleanse me in your blood. But we take it, not based on our evaluation, but based on God's evaluation. That blood was shed once for all. It's eternally effective. Because if we don't take care of the problems in our conscience, that cuts off our fellowship with the Lord. Our relationship with him is unbreakable. It's eternal. Once you're born of God, you're born. You can't be unborn. But our fellowship with him can be broken, right, by something improper in our life. So when the Lord touches our conscience, we need to immediately confess our sins so we can be brought back into fellowship with him. Okay. Um, and once he forgives, he forgets. So this, by confessing our sins, by applying the precious blood of Christ, this causes us to fear God more, love him more, and it maintains our fellowship with him. And finally, the issue of this is going to be the New Jerusalem, where of our experience and enjoyment of this new covenant is going to be the New Jerusalem, where God and man are one eternally, where man is fully expressing God. Praise the Lord for such a covenant. Amen. All right, so I tried to do it in 30 minutes. I, I failed. Lord, forgive me. But now we can have some time in the groups to, to read a little bit, and maybe it'll help us a little.